Good morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. As longtime listeners of the show will know, each week we focus on the Torah portion, the parashah, that is read in synagogues throughout the Jewish world. This week we are going to be focusing on parashat Noah, the story of Noah and the subsequent stories found in Genesis 6-9, through Genesis 11.32. Let me give you an overview of the weekly reading before I uh, introduce our guest. Uh, So, um, God instructs Noah, uh, the only righteous man in a world consumed by violence and corruption, to build a large wooden uh, teva, an ark, coated within and without with pitch. A great deluge, says God, will wipe out all life from the face of the earth. But according to the Torah, the ark will float upon the water, sheltering Noah and his family, and two members, a male and female, of each of the animal species specified by God. Rain falls for 40 days and nights, and the water churns for 150 days more uh, before calming and beginning to recede. The text tells us that the ark settles on Mount Ararat, and from its window, Noah dispatches a raven and then a series of doves to see if the waters were abated from the face of the earth. When the ground dries completely, Exactly according to the Torah and Jewish tradition, one solar year after the onset of the flood, God commands Noah to exit the ark and repopulate the earth. Noah builds an altar and offers sacrifices to God. God swears never again to destroy all of humankind because of their deeds and sets the rainbow as a testimony of his new covenant with humanity. God also commands Noah regarding the sacredness of life. This is known as the Noahide laws. Murder is deemed a capital offense, and while humanity is permitted to eat meat of animals, he is forbidden to eat flesh or blood taken from a living animal. Subsequently, Noah plants a vineyard, and harvests the fruit of the vineyard and becomes drunk on its produce. Two of Noah's sons, Shem and Jetheth, are blessed for covering up their father's nakedness while sleeping in a drunken stupor, while his third son, Ham, is punished for taking uh, advantage of this debasement. The descendants of Noah remain a singular people with a single language and culture for 10 generations. And then we are introduced to the story of the Tower of Babel. The descendants of Noah, we are told, defy their creator by building a great tower to symbolize their own invincibility. God confuses their language so that one does not comprehend the tongue of the other. 
causing them to abandon their project and disperse from across the face of the earth, splitting into 70 nations. The parasha of Noah concludes with the chronology of 10 generations from Noah to Abraham, known in this week's parasha as Abram, and the latter's journey from his birthplace of Ur-Kazdim to Harana, on the way to the land of Canaan. It is a story well known to most of us. Perhaps you have even found it uh, as part of your growing up, even if you were not churched. With me this morning is Rabbi Neil Barvitz, who is the Rabbi Emeritus of Temple Avodat Shalom in River Edge, New Jersey. He is a columnist for the Jewish Standard of Northern New Jersey, a member of the Board of Directors of the Jewish Council for Public Affairs. He resides in New York City, where he is a worshiper at Stephen Wise Free Synagogue, and where he continues, even in his retirement, to teach adult education. Rabbi Borovitz, welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. Thank you very much. Uh, the one thing we forgot to uh, I, you didn't mention is that, uh, Steve, you and I have known each other for 50 years uh, since we began rabbinic school uh, together in Jerusalem in 1970, and we're ordained together. That is true. Rabbi Borovitz and I have known each other for almost a half century and uh, have served the Jewish people for that length of time. Now, in the Torah portion, uh, Rabbi, um, it begins in chapter 9, as I suggested, and tells us this. Noach. These are the generations or the line of Noach. Noach ish tzadik tamim tav. Noah was a righteous man. He was blameless in his age. And later on in our conversation, I hope we can discuss that. But now I want to turn to something that you indicated had great interest to you. And that's found in uh, chapter six, at the end of the chapter, and I think is a continuation of how Noah is introduced. Chapter six says, "Vayas Noah b'kol asher tziva oto Elohim kenasa," and Noah did so, just as God commanded him. And then it repeats itself, "Kenasa," so he did. And we want to talk this morning about Noah, the person who is uh, totally committed uh, to God's commandment. And you had a thought about that to help us begin our conversation. Yes, uh, thank you. <clears throat> I, I find this uh, verse very problematic. And it's actually. Uh, juxtaposed, uh, actually the two verses that you quoted, Rabbi, because uh, the opening which describes Noah as an ish tzaddik tamim, 
Badoratav, uh, a righteous, pure. Uh, tam comes to mean pure versus uh, uh, profane uh, in biblical uh, rituals uh, associated with the temple. Uh, so he's a pure, righteous guy, but then it says Bedorotav in his generation. So uh, why is he only in his generation? And there's a parallel uh, actually in the opening of the book of Job uh, that uh, I thought about uh, this morning because I've been teaching a course on Job. Job in the opening verse uh, of, of that book uh, is uh, described as that uh, Job was blameless, blameless and upright, uh, and he was a God-fearing person who shunned evil. And then all these terrible things happened to uh, Jonah, just as all these terrible Job. things happened to, to Job, just as these uh, terrible things happened to uh, Noah's community to know is to the civilization in which he lived. Both of them seem to be people who just follow what God says. Job, ultimately, when disaster strikes him, will start to question. We don't see that questioning uh, in Noah, and that's my problem. We see that questioning, by the way, with Abraham, uh, whose birth we note at the end of this Parsha, uh, when Abraham hears about the coming destruction of two cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, he argues with God. Actually had this wonderful negotiation. God, wouldn't you say the, were, uh, these communities, these cities, if there were 50 righteous people and God says, okay, and then he goes and it comes down to 10 and then it says the presence of God left. But Abraham, even if he can't change the reality, argues that God has to be just, Must that the master of the world has to act justly. But, it, it, but isn't it true that before we get to Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham uh, acts very much like uh, Job, uh, 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 acts very much like Noah in taking his son to Mount Moriah and follows the commandment. Right. Well, actually, you know, because that comes afterwards, and one of the, one of my thoughts on the Akedah, the, uh, the binding of Isaac and the uh, attempted sacrifice, is that God never talks to Abraham after that again. I think that... Uh, Abraham, in that situation, lost his connection to God. Noah here uh, seems to be totally obedient and doesn't question. And there's a difference. Uh, what's missing here is that ultimately and subsequently in the Bible, beginning with Abraham's questioning and uh, arguing with Sodom and Gomorrah, there's a sense of a partnership that God and humanity are part have to be partners in the ongoing creation and redemption of the world. Uh, that what we do matters. That for better or worse, we have free will. And uh, 
what I find problematic about uh, Noah uh, is the sense that uh, there are many people today who just say, well, this is if this is God's will, uh, whatever is happening must be God's will. So if we see human suffering, uh, it's not my problem. What can I do about it? And I think that that's, uh, that's my problem. What we do and what we don't do makes a difference. So I, I, want, I want to further this conversation, not because I disagree with what you've said, but I want to ask the question, in the context of the Torah, uh, Noah is uh, offered to us as a man of obedience in a time of crisis. He knows that there will be a flood coming. He informs his family. And then he acts to save his family. And we are told in the text that uh, he saves uh, a variety of different species. Um, Why do you think the text... Um, doesn't have Noah argue for the rest of humanity. Because I think Noah represents uh, a a second Adam, and Abraham will be the, in any way, uh, in a sense, the third Adam, the third beginning of God's creation of humanity and the world as uh, human society. So God creates Adam gives Adam and Eve free will, they, they screw it up. They, they're exiled from the Garden of Eden. Uh, they have uh, sibling rivalry turns uh, into, an, into homicide, uh, which I think is uh, a lesson for us to recognize that every homicide is really fratricide. Noah only saves his family. Where's the rest of humanity? So Noah is really the second Adam because everybody uh, is a descendant of of Noah. We are all the children of Noah because Noah's family were the only ones uh, that survived that that flood. So let me pursue this for a moment. If Noah is in a sense the second generation or the second iteration of uh, God's creation, then uh, it would stand to reason that um, God would have um, expected Noah to uh, behave differently than Adam. And if Adam and uh, the woman known as Eve disobeyed uh, God by uh, actually eating of the forbidden fruit, wouldn't it have made sense then for the Torah to have created a second uh, Adam uh, who would uh, behave absolutely differently than the first one? I mean, in a yes. sense, why would I, why would we expect this uh, creation to behave the same? Um, well, actually, uh, 
my my thought process is and my understanding of these three beginnings is that uh, Adam takes one path, Noah takes a, a totally opposite path. And ultimately, uh, Abraham uh, finds a middle road uh, that uh, Noah is a blind faith fundamentalist. He just believes what what is uh, what what he perceives as divine revelation and never questions. Uh, Adam uh, sort of rejects everything. Noah, by, by the way, Adam is uh, is found. An Adam-like approach, or certainly a Cain-type approach, is found after the Noah story in the Tower of Babel uh, uh, narrative, which is only a couple of verses, uh, because they want to rebel against God. So we have a sense of rebellion, uh, absolute uh, obedience, and the mid-road is covenantal relationship. And that's what Abraham represents. Uh, and ultimately... Uh, Judaism and Christianity uh, see ourselves uh, both as the children of Abraham, uh, that we see ourselves uh, as continuing a sense of a covenant where uh, we have to uh, balance, balance both obedience and responsibility, uh, that we can't just say uh, everything's in God's hands. Uh, but rather, uh, we have a role to play, uh, that we are God's partners. There's a wonderful children's book uh, written by uh, our colleague Mark Gelman about 40 years ago uh, that uh, on Genesis narratives entitled, Does God Have a Big Toe? And in that, one of the stories he tells is the sense that uh, God announces, as he does uh, in Genesis 1, uh, and two, that Adam, that human humanity will be his partner. Uh, so the angels in heaven are pictured as asking uh, God, uh, is creation done yet? And God says, ask my partner. Uh, and I think that what Gelman is reflecting is uh, this concept that we have to be the ongoing partners with God in creation. Uh, that uh, what 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 Noah never does is something that Job, uh, a, a story that comes uh, pr uh, probably uh, a thousand years uh, after the Noah story, at least, uh, Job begins to question why do bad things happen uh, uh, to good people? Noah never questions. He just says, I'm righteous, I'm saved. Rather than saying, you know what? I have an obligation to teach others and to help others do tshuva, to do repentance, uh, to find a way uh, for uh, a covenantal relationship with God. And that's what Judaism and Christianity are both about, is uh, that uh, what happens in the world is our responsibility. And we can be God's voice and hands in this world. So let's go back to the beginning for a moment, because in the not in the beginning of uh, creation, but in the beginning of our uh, portion, 
we are told that he was a righteous man, Ish Sadiq. And then it says Tamim. Um, and you wanted to explain Tamim as blameless, correct? Uh, yes, that's one of the ways to uh, to understand it. Uh, unblemished, uh, pure. Okay. Blameless. So, and then it says that he was unpure, that he was blameless or pure in his generation. So, does that suggest to you? that he was the best of a bad lot, no pun intended to lot, um, but the best of his generation, which is going to be destroyed, or is it suggesting that he was in and of himself a righteous person? And let me just continue that thought for a moment. If he was the best of a bad generation, then why would we expect him to be able to see beyond his narcissistic self? But if he was a uh, good person, as we understand good, then your uh, theory that he should have been held accountable seems to work better. So how do you understand his... Um, his righteousness, Sadiqim, Ish Sadiq. So uh, he was righteous, but Dorotov in his generation. And I think it can, it, it can and should be understood in both ways. And actually, Nacham Sarna in uh, the Jewish Publication Society Torah Commentary uh, talks about this, uh, where he, you know, quoting uh, medieval source uh, commentators, including Rashi. Uh, that but Dovratov can be understood both as in his in this rotten generation Noah was righteous right he and the, he, he's the ah uh, he stood up and, right uh, and but you could just say in this rotten generation he's the best that we can yeah. find that's right that's right and uh, another interpretation uh, that we find. Uh, in Rashi, uh, written a thousand years ago, a French rabbi of a thousand years ago, one of the greatest Jewish commentators on Bible, is that, uh, yes, in his generation, he was the best uh, that you can find. Compared to Abraham and Moses uh, and later prophets and sages, he doesn't measure up so well. And in part, the reason he doesn't measure up so well is he doesn't stand up for others. Uh, and uh, we see this. Uh, and I think that, uh, let me uh, turn to uh, another little story in Noah uh, that's very personal to me because my brother, uh, Rabbi Mark Borvitz, uh, is a recovering alcoholic uh, who is, uh, you know, uh, uh, created along with his wife uh, a residential treatment center uh, using Judaism 12 steps and psychotherapy to help people with addictions. So uh, Mark has written, you know, Noah's the world's first drunk and his kids are the first people who wanted to cover it up and uh, not deal with the fact uh, of imperfection. So in many ways, I love Noah because he's imperfect. Uh, 
I recognize uh, that we're all imperfect and we can always do better. And I think that uh, my problem with the uh, with the verse by Ya'as Noah Elohim Kenasa, uh, a verse, by the way, that is uh, used in throughout the uh, the Bible uh, in reference to other people. That so 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 and so did just what God has told him to do. He Kenasa, he surely did it. I think that there's a time for obedience, and there's a time for questioning. Uh, there's a time for us uh, to accept reality, the reality of life, and there's a time to say, "How can I make a difference? And how can I, uh, how can I be God's voice and hands in the world and make this world a better place for others?" Uh, it's and- interesting. I, I I accept what you say. I'm just not sure that holding Noah accountable for that kind of behavior is fair to Noah. Um, As you well know, at the end of the um, episode, when Noah uh, leaves the uh, ark, uh, God says, never again will I doom the earth uh, because of man. And we don't know whether he means Noah at that point of all humanity. Um, and never again will I destroy ever living being. So as long as the earth endures, things will be good. And then God bless Noah. Um, and so I'm wondering whether um, it's a legitimate comparison to Abraham. But as you suggest, Abraham... Um, follows God's word, and then he and Isaac uh, do not have any serious relationship with God after that. Uh, But Noah seems to have a serious relationship with God, and God seems to have a a serious relationship with Noah, and in fact, through Noah, offers to humanity the first set of um, laws that will become part and parcel of the natural law about our relationship with each other. So I'm just wondering out loud whether you're being slightly hard on this guy who may have had no choice but to uh, follow uh, the dictates uh, of the God that he knew, who, by the way, is a uh, unknown god to him, as opposed to Abraham, who has uh, already accepted a covenant with God. Um, and maybe it's unfair. Um, Noah doesn't even have the same covenant that uh, Adam, the first Adam, has. Um, but Rabbi Rabbi Borowitz, you've offered us an interesting insight. I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you for again sharing your wisdom with our listeners. Um, Rabbi Borowitz's comments on uh, Parashat Noah can be found as a podcast on iTunes or as a podcast on the CHRI website. For Rabbi Borowitz and myself, Rabbi Stephen Garten, I want to thank you for tuning in and wishing you a good day. Shalom.